What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome. It is Friday, January 28th, 2022. As always, I'm the Pody. I want to welcome everyone in. Thank everybody for listening to this episode. It is going to be a rocky weekend for those of you that live in the Northeast, Jersey, Connecticut, New York, up and down the East Coast. Even North Carolina is supposed to get some snow. We are going to get rocked. They're calling it a bomb cyclone. They're estimating anywhere between, I I heard six to eight inches around my area. It could be higher. More so South Jersey is going to get rocked with like a foot of snow or more. Long Island winds 55 miles an hour. It's going to be crazy. So what better way to spend your weekend than sitting on the couch, not shoveling all that nasty snow, watching some sports, listening to yours truly, The Pody, spit knowledge, spit some facts, and check you up. Uh, really catch you up on what just went down in this past week uh, in sports. It was a wild and wacky week. Um, the divisional rounds of the playoffs was the greatest weekend of football, of NFL action that we have ever witnessed. Four walk-offs, three game-winning field goals in regulation, and one walk-off in overtime. It is friggin' It was amazing. It uh, Not great for me. Didn't have a great weekend with the bets. Um, I went two for four with my picks. But I did. Um, I went with the I, I went with the Bucks, I believe, with my picks last week. But I ended up making an alternate spread bet, a little parlay that ended up hitting by the skin of my teeth. So I'll, I'll get to that uh, just real quick. Want to catch you guys up. Brian Dayball from the Buffalo Bills has just been hired as the new head coach of the New York Giants. We heard earlier in the week, this guy, Joe Shane, the assistant GM who's now the uh, of Buffalo, is now the GM of the New York Giants. He spoke introductory press conference. Um, you, you had Mara. John Mara speak. There was talks about, you know, Brian Flores talks about bringing in Deshaun Watson. He said none of that's going to happen. And then, of course, today the hire is Brian Dayball, which we all expected. I believe he is now the second ever Canadian head coach in the National Football League because he was born in Canada. I think I just read that somewhere. So uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he was born in Welland, Ontario. He would be the second Canadian-born head coach in NFL history. He joined Tommy Hewitt, who was born in British Columbia in 1892 and was a player coach for the Buffalo All-Americans, um, Buffalo All-Americans and Bisons from 1920 to 24. So pretty cool there. So congrats to... The Giants, maybe that's the guy you wanted. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Journeyman offensive coordinator certainly did a lot with Josh Allen. We could debate this all we want, but we're going to jump right in. Oh, before we do that, the new um, movie starring Kevin James is out today on Netflix where he uh, plays Sean Payton. That is called Home Team. Looks hysterical, family friendly, fun, you know, funny movie. Kevin James is a is just a riot in in all his comedy movies that he does. Here comes the boom, a great one. Uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop is great. Uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. He's one of my favorite comedic actors. So, um, it, just watch that this weekend. I'm gonna try to watch that either tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon 
maybe tonight. Um, I've got a, you know, COD session, Call of Duty session with the boys later. So, so we'll see if I can get to that or not. Um, but it's going to be a weekend of just sitting inside when you're not outside with dealing with the snow, watching movies, sports, etc. There, there's some great sport. There's some good sporting events on all weekend long. So without further ado, let's jump right in. All right. We're going to start with the football, obviously. We're going to start with the first game of the weekend, which was the Titans-Bengals. I said, don't bet this game. I'm leaning on the Titans getting Derrick Henry back, but I was a little bit unsure of what I was, what, you know, which way to go if I want. So I just said, don't bet this. Um, and then what do I do? I bet it. I bet the Titans. Uh, what was it? I bet like Titans minus four, I think. And I bet Derrick Henry to score a touchdown. So you'll Derrick Henry scored the touchdown, but unfortunately the Titans couldn't get the win. So here's how this thing got started. Ryan Tannehill, we always said it, his days in Miami had a rejuvenation, renaissance really, uh, rebirth in Tennessee, uh, grabbed the starting job back from Mariota. Boom, he's their guy. They've been great the last couple of years. They get the one seed. They finish strong without Derrick Henry. Well, Derrick Henry's back. He should be great. He should be fine. He's game manager, does enough to win the game. Well, first play from scrimmage. The very first play. All you have to do, it's Derrick Henry. He's back. All you have to do, ladies and gentlemen, is just hand it off to Derrick Henry. Right? Because if Derrick Henry gets going, he they said he had no limitations. None of that. He had a plate in his shoe. He has screws plate in his foot. He's good to go. No limitations. He's been practicing for pretty much a while now. This is the first play from scrimmage for Ryan Tannehill. Those games, first play from scrimmage. Play action. Tannehill fires. Intercepted. Picked on the play by Jesse Bates. And just like that, Cincinnati takes over. Well, just when everyone thought that Derrick Henry was going to be the first one to touch the ball, Jesse Bates did not fall. Yeah, just when you thought that Derrick Henry was going to be the first one to touch the ball, they thought this is called overcoaching, ladies and gentlemen. It happens all the time. You, everybody in the world knows Derrick Henry's getting the ball. So what do you do? You try to trick him and get something quick. And it didn't work. It bit them in the butt. And just like that, I knew I was in big, big trouble with the Titans and the spread in this one. I knew I was in for a long day. The Bengals would have to settle for a field goal, though. They settled for two early field goals. There was a theme in this game for the Titans' defense, and it was sacks, sacks, and more sacks to the tune of nine sacks. Um, just it was, it was crazy. And a lot of that's on Joe Burrow for not throwing the ball away. So down 6 nothing. It's starting to get late in the second quarter here, a little more than halfway through the second quarter. Figuring the Titans got to get something done. They finally get it down into the red zone. And here's when Derrick Henry finally steps it up before the half. And he gets the Titans on the board. Direct snap. We know he can throw it if he wants. Or he can do this. Henry takes it in. Touchdown, Tennessee. They brought in the extra offensive lineman. They sent Tannehill to the outside, and then it's just picture poison. Watch the block by Westbrook Aquino on the outside, number 15. Watch as Henry comes to the 
Yeah, beautiful. See, that time it was not over coaching. That was a great call. Get Derrick Henry in the direct snap. We don't need Ryan Tannehill in there to throw another interception. Great call. What I did not appreciate was that tied it at six. Extra point gives them the seven six lead. Well, the Bengals get flagged for having too many men on the field. So the Titans decide to go for two. And for the love of God, I cannot figure out why coaches in the NFL line up on these short yardage gains where they need like half a yard or a yard and the box is completely stacked and they try to hand it off to Derrick Henry anyway. And I thought he gave like a kind of a poor effort to reach a a little bit better towards the sideline. I mean, towards the end zone. Um, He came up short. It really had no chance. A surprise. It was that close anyway. That's when they should have went for the play action. You could throw to the tight end easily. We see this all the time with your Travis Kelsey's, with your great tight ends. They're just always wide open. Gronk, same thing. So I don't know. It was just, it was a bad, bad move. So Evan McPherson, rookie kicker for the Bengals, who just doesn't seem to miss, hasn't missed yet in the playoffs. He would later kick a 54-yard field goal. I think just this was when Burrow... Um, got sacked, took a bad sack, and I thought they would be out of field goal range, but no, this guy just keeps coming on, making field goal after field goal. This one from 54 yards, his third of the game, mind you. Um, this gives the uh, Bengals a 9-6 to lead. The Titans would then punt on their ensuing drive, and just under 10 minutes to go in the third, the Bengals would would tack on seven more with their first touchdown of the game. This putting them up by 10, and it's really starting to, you know, get out of reach for the Titans now. Now it's time to panic. And up, Nixon, touch to the outside, and Nixon is gone! Touchdown, Bengals! What an opening statement! Yeah, I think that was the... um, excuse me, I think that was the opening drive of the third quarter. They took it down. It was like 10 plays. Um, Yeah, they took it down just under 10 minutes. Uh, Whatever. So yeah, Titans um, find themselves down by 10. It's getting a little tricky now. Um, But, but, the Titans have a good run game. And it was not Derrick Henry this time. It was Deontay Foreman who jump-started the offense with one of the better runs that I have seen all season. And I'm not just saying that. This thing was a th- was just beautiful. 16 out of the University of Texas. Big run. Breaks a tackle. Foreman still going. Deontay Foreman dealing with waves of tacklers. And he's finally brought down. Mike Hilton helps save the touchdown. It's a 54-yard rip for Foreman. Uh, And the perfect time for Deontay Foreman to break off the longest run of his season. Coming into this game, only 35 yards was his longest. Yes, so you heard heard, um, that 35 yards was the longest run of his season, probably of his career, I think. Um, and it was a beautiful run because he puts his foot, uh, hand on the ground to keep himself up, keep the knee from touching, and he rips it off. Now the Titans are in business. First and goal, down 10. Guess what? Guess what? This is deja vu all over again. This was first and goal. I think the very next play. Knocked up in the air. Intercepted. Mike Hilton's got it. 
Franklin. What a spectacular play by Mike Hilton. He taps it up in the air. Yeah. Tannehill tried to get a quick out, like a bubble screen maybe. I don't understand how quarterbacks, the guy's literally right in front of your face. I don't know how you think you can just get it past him. Now you're Aaron Rodgers, you're Mahomes, Josh Allen. They'll drop the arm angle sometimes and just sling it in there, or maybe they skip it and it, and it goes incomplete. But Tannehill has a very over-the-top motion, and he literally just threw it right at this guy, Mike Hilton, who li- who literally jumped because that's what you're taught. Jump up, getting, you know, bat the ball down and he tapped it up right to himself. It was like slow motion. You see that ball in the air and you just know it's over. He intercepts it. Tannehill has to run after him and he does get catch him. Um, he doesn't get very far. Uh, but it was just uh, I mean, can you it, it, Titans fans just got had to have been besides themselves. I was beside myself because I had money on this game, and I just I thought for sure they would bang it into the end zone. We'd have a three point game. Here we go. Nope. They did force a Bengals punt, um, so it wasn't all you know bad after after that interception. They did hold the Bengals, force them to punt, and then they did kick a field goal. Um, to get this to within one score, uh, did the um, did, did the Tennessee Titans, and what's unbelievable about this is the very next play, first play from scrimmage after the field goal for the Cincinnati Bengals. There's not a lot of time left in this thing, right? Joe Burrow throws a shallow pass. To his left side, it gets tipped off. I think it's the running back's hands, and it gets unbelievably one of the craziest interceptions. Did it hit the ground? Didn't it? They had to review this for quite a while, and they went with the ruling on the field. Interception. Take a listen. 40-yard line. about to hit the ground and Hooker slides it under it. Tremendous pick. Obviously, they're going to take a look at it to see if it hits the ground. Let's keep an eye on that ball. Ooh. It doesn't look like it touches the ground. And if it does touch the ground, it looks like he has, he has the ball secure. It maybe brushes the ground, but the ball doesn't move. And that's what they're looking for is movement by the ball. The Bengals don't do a lot of big sets. See how the cone of the ball hits, but you don't see the ball move. Trent, you just said it. You hold your breath. Yeah, they kept the ruling on the field. It was an interception. The ball is allowed to hit the ground as long as you have possession and it doesn't move. And it was very close. Did he have possession before it hit the ground? And they ruled they had to stick with the play on the field. Um, so this was, I think Tannehill was then sacked on the very first play, but the, the second down play was a 33 yard touchdown to AJ Brown. It was a, a ridiculous catch. This was in the waning seconds of the third quarter. This tied the game at 16. This was an unbelievable catch. Take a listen. Second and 16 after the penalty on Jones. Tannehill looking for an open 
tremendous grab by A.J. Brown, but a tremendous throw by Ryan Tannehill. He's got Awuzie on the outside, just a little stuttering go, just enough for Awuzie to settle. A ridiculous one-handed catch by A.J. Brown. I didn't even know he caught it at first, and then they zoom in, and yes, it was a one-handed touchdown catch. Tied things up, like I said, with about 20 seconds, 22 seconds left. They snapped the ball in the third quarter. So now we had ourselves a ball game. It was amazing. Okay. Um, there was a lot of back and forth in the fourth quarter, not really much going on. And the Titans got the ball back. This was when it got interesting. The Titans got the ball back with just over two minutes or so. And um, they're driving. They have a good drive going. Obviously, they they want to bleed as much clock as they can, bring this thing down, kick a field goal, and if they, you know, leave any time, make it minimal for the Bengals to do anything. Well, the Bengals, I be, I want to say they, they they had one timeout left. They might have called a timeout. It brought up a third and five for for the Titans. Or maybe they didn't call the timeout. I forget exactly how it went down. But Titans had the ball. It was a tricky situation. They could have ran the ball here and maybe hoped to get the first down and then the Titans could start going and try and use their timeouts. Or they could have, you know, passed the ball, get the first down, and then try to bring it down and and, and kick a, a final game-winning field goal. It was an interesting spot for the Titans because if you don't convert this, you throw it incomplete, whatever, you now have to punt and the Bengals have a lot of time on the clock or enough time on the clock. So, guess what happens? Ryan Tannehill, it's third and five. Okay, third and five. And what does Ryan Tannehill do? This is now with 28 seconds left. Ryan Tannehill, okay, throws a pass that had no business, and I mean no business, being thrown, at, at least not to where he threw it. It was an absolute joke. He throws it in to like triple coverage. The linebacker tips it to himself and intercepts it, and that's when I knew the game was over because the Bengals needed just basically one or two passes and they're in field goal range. And this guy McPherson hasn't missed all day. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, Joe Burrow comes out first pass, 19 yards to chase. They show the you know magical line of where they needed to get. He was already past that by like two yards. McPherson then came on and does this from 52. I think it was 52. That is also the Bengals' first road win in, in, in playoff history. So congratulations to them. I lost myself a hundred bucks on that play uh, on that game. Unfortunately, I had like plus one twenty-five odds. So I got the Derrick Henry touchdown, parlayed that with the uh, Titans minus four. It was just rough. If he misses that, they go to overtime, and I get the possible you know backdoor cover if they walk it off with a touchdown. So very disappointing. But um, I was thinking, all right, we move on to the second game between the Packers and Niners. Am I going to bet this one? I don't know. Uh, so guess what I did. 
I didn't bet this game. And thankfully, so, no, I did bet this. Well, no, I didn't per se bet the game. I had a four-player touchdown parlay. I got Derrick Henry in the first one. I needed Devontae Adams in the second one. And guess what, guys? In the freezing cold snow in Green Bay at Lambeau Field, there was one offensive touchdown scored in the entire game and it came at the beginning of the game on the first drive of the game when you said oh boy Packers look good this could be a blowout it was A.J. Dillon Dillon again he is in for the touchdown That was about a five and a half minute drive to start the game. It was very impressive. You started thinking, man, the 49ers could be in trouble. Jimmy G with the banged up thumb in the freezing cold temperatures. 49ers really could not get anything going on offense until finally, as soon as a team goes into two minute offense right before the half, oh my God, it's like magic. They start moving the ball. Again, teams should do this a lot more often. Chip Kelly tried to do an up-tempo offense. It kind of worked for a season or so, and then it really didn't. But that's more so of a byproduct of the players, I would say, he had. He didn't have a great quarterback at the time, you know, with, with Nick Foles and what and, and whatnot. But um, I would like to see that more often because it works. So um, 49ers, they move the ball into the red zone with one minute, nine seconds left in the half. But then poor Jimmy G does this. Just, ugh. He, he does so beautifully to break out of the sack, and then he throws late. Garoppolo avoids a sack. And now throws to the end zone where he's picked. Intercepted by Amos. So Joe Buck said he threw to the end zone. He really didn't throw to the end zone. He threw to, like, the two-yard line. But it was a late throw. He doesn't have the arm strength. It was just one of those... Do not, guy trying to do too much in in, a, in the red zone, you can't turn the ball over there. So that was with a minute and nine seconds left. The Packers, um, at that point, I think were up seven, nothing. And the Niners just, you can't not score points on that drive. So what does Aaron Rodgers do? Same thing, two minute offense, drives them down, gets them into field goal range, down to the 21 of San Fran with three seconds left. They bring on their kicker, Mason Crosby, who's really had an up and down career in Green Bay. It's been mostly good, but he has had some f f you know, funky, weird moments. And um, he had another one. Um, let me see where it's at. I have a lot of videos in here or uh, sound bites. It would be uh, right here, right to end the half. This is Mason Crosby to put for from 39 to put the Packers up 10 nothing. Good snap, good hold, and the kick is blocked. Special teams will be a big part. And who wins and loses this game is Jimmy Ward blocks the field goal try and it's seven to nothing at the half. Stay tuned, Verizon halftime coming up. 
Jimmy Ward honestly looked like he came in untouched. It was unbelievable. You heard Joe Buck say it best. Special teams is going to decide who wins and loses this game. Two of the worst special teams groups in all of football. Packers might have, I think, had the worst in football. And it would come back to bite them in the butt. Because the 49ers would kick things off in the second half with a 10-play drive that took up almost seven minutes, leading to a Robbie Gold field goal. Because Gold is absolute gold in the playoffs having never missed I don't I, I don't believe um so there would be no scoring through the rest of the third quarter the Packers then tack on a field goal a few minutes into the fourth so they go up 10 to 3 very low scoring game sorry to anyone that had the over 49ers would eventually move the ball to the Green Bay 19 but facing a fourth and one and down seven they were forced to go with go for it with just under Five minutes left. And this brings me back to the Derrick Henry two-point conversion. Why these teams think that they can just run it, excuse me, run it right up the middle is beyond sad. I just don't get it. And Mitchell will get it. Packers defense steps up. Rashawn Gary, what a night couple of sacks in that play on fourth down and he was not alone 52 a star yeah not even close he lost a yard or two on that run and Rashawn Gary you heard the call there former Michigan Wolverine um just just a terrible call from the Niners and you pretty much figured the game was over at that point uh, just under five minutes they're down 10 to three they haven't scored a touchdown all game how are they going to get this done three plays later Packers fail to to get a first down, so they have to punt. And this was the play that changed the entire game. You could hear you could you could drop a pin in that stadium and 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 you would hear it. That's in each of the last three games, and it's blocked. Up into the air and spinning inside the 10. Picked up and a touchdown. Hafanga got the return for the touchdown after the block by Jordan Willis and the special teams. It's been a problem for Green Bay all season long. Breaks down. Yep. A blocked punt leading to a 49er game-tying touchdown at 10. They had the blocked field goal and now the blocked punt. Just Beside myself, I could not believe what was happening. Is Aaron Rodgers really going to go down in a game like this where the 49ers offense can't even score a touchdown? The Packers offense was miserable all day after that first drive. I don't understand what happened. That Niners D is very good up front um, with Armstead and Bosa and those guys. But man, are you kidding me? So what happens after they tie the game? The place is shell-shocked. The Packers were shell-shocked. They quickly for uh, had to punt yet again with 3.33 left. And what did the Niners do? This is why I laugh when people like Mina Kimes come out of the woodwork that don't know anything about football that want to talk all this smack about Jimmy Garoppolo. If you're a team, there's a lot of teams in, in, in this league that are about to draft a quarterback or are in line for a quarterback, right? You have the Giants. You don't know, you know, Jets have Zach Wilson. You don't know what to expect from him. You have the Broncos. You have the 
you know, what the Bears just drafted a quarterback, but what is that? You know, you have Washington. There are teams out there that are desperate for a quarterback, the Texans. Are you telling me none of these teams would want Jimmy Garoppolo? He's been to a Super Bowl, had a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl, couldn't hit Emmanuel Sanders on one deep ball, otherwise the game is over. We know how that goes. But yes, he's a game manager, but he's a damn good game manager, and he doesn't get enough credit. He went into Lambeau Field. Well, he went into Dallas, won that game. He goes into Lambeau Field, wins that game with a bad thumb, okay? Can't even probably grip the ball or feel it with that bad thumb, and he wins the game. I mean, are you kidding me? So people want to bash Jimmy G all they want because he's not a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning or one of the all-time greats, right? But he is, he's solid, okay? He, the, the last time the Jets had any success was with Mark Sanchez. Before that, you know, it, it was Chad Pennington, okay? Trent Dilfer was another one, game manager. He won a Super Bowl. It can be done, okay? And these guys are not a dime a dozen, all right? You know, you find one of these guys, you want you keep them. Jimmy G has a phenomenal record in this league. He wins way more than he loses. And when Jimmy G wasn't the quarterback of the Niners, when he was hurt those couple years and they were going through Bethard and Mullins and, and, and all these guys, they were 4-12 and 12 and they couldn't win games. But now with Jimmy G, they're winning games and they're back in line in the AFC Championship. And I'm sorry, I, I, I got to clear the air. You cannot be bashing this guy because what did he do with three minutes and 33 seconds left in this game? He proceeded to go on a 9 play drive for the win and with four seconds left the ever so great it's so hard to believe that the bears he's the second most accurate kicker in the nfl i think he still is and the bears got rid of him and then of course a couple years ago matt Nagy, um you know has a new kicker and you have the double doink and now matt Nagy's out of a job because if he had robbie gold they they, they would have won that game and they'd be in the nfc championship and then they probably would have won that game uh just just unbelievable but four seconds left robbie gold for the win kick was down the middle and good 49ers win it San Francisco is moving on with a 13 to 10 win. It's just unbelievable. They were down 7 nothing, then it was 10-3, then they win the game. It just I'm sorry, but is there a better offensive or head coach than than Kyle Shanahan? He's just absolute money. Um, I'm a huge fan of his, what he does, the creativity, Debo Samuel, all that good stuff. Uh, just, oh, it's unbelievable uh, what they've been able to accomplish. And so, I mean, we so far, two games, two miraculous finishes. Y it doesn't get much better than this. Will Sunday live up to the hype? Oh, well, did Sunday live up to the hype? It started off with Rams, Bucks, kicking things off. I think this was 3 p.m. start. And it was bad news going in for the Bucks. I had bet the Bucks. I, I decided to play it safe because everything was telling me Rams win this game, but the Bucks are three-point favorites or so. It's just, it was funny. It was weird. So I did an alternate spread bet. I did Bucks minus, I did Bucks plus three and a half and over 44 and a half points uh, total. So I dropped that down and I and I made a, a safer ish um or so I thought it was safe. 
um, alternate spread bet because then I I needed the Bucks to win at home or not lose by more than three. And oh, was it a doozy. So here we go. Tristan Wirfs out. They're all pro right tackle out for the game. All right. Uh, this would spell trouble or right guard. I, I, whatever. Whatever Tristan Wirfs is. Okay. Anyway, you get the picture. All right. So with that being said, I think Brady was was going with they they were protecting Brady with going up against Aaron Donald, Von Miller, just just an all star cast of guys. Right. They were protecting him with an undrafted free agent out of Rice, something like that, like a 31 year old uh, guy that's just always injured. And then that guy got hurt and they brought on another like undrafted guy. It was just a total mess. And, And Brady was uncomfortable a few times. First two drives for Brady. Well, first drive, they go back-to-back runs, and they gash gash him. They get some good yards with Fournette. I'm like, okay, Fournette's back. He's looking good. This is good. The Bucks get to their 43-ish or so, but then they stall. Uh, Brady throws a couple incompletions. They have to punt. Stafford and the Rams, they take their opening drive now. They go right down the field, and they kick a field goal. Matt Gay, former Buck, uh, he's also a— um, Pro Bowler this year, had a phenomenal year. He kicks the field goal, goes up 3-0. The Bucks' next ensuing possession, go three and out. I'm like, oh, God, this is bad. Brady, I think first game ever, he does not have a completion in his first two drives. Things were not looking good. He he was getting zero protection from this guy filling in for Werfs. It was just, it it, it looked bad. I'm like, this this could be a blowout. This is not good. Um, So Rams get the ball back. And you know how people do first to score all the time. They bet first to score. Odds are always great. My brother loves to put it on Odell. And guess what? He put it on Odell, but it wasn't Odell that scored. It wasn't even Cooper Cup that scored. It was some backup tight end. A roll, a throw, and a touchdown. Kendall Blanton. Yeah, the backup tight end scores the game's first touchdown, and everybody that bet that it was just like dying inside because they would they lost. Uh, luckily, I didn't bet that one, so I didn't have anything to worry about. But this put the Rams quickly up ten to nothing, still in the first quarter. I'm like, well, it's good for the over. I need points. Uh, the Bucks would cap off the first quarter with a 45 yard field goal to make it 10-3 from uh, Suckup, who's pretty much been been money for them since they got him. Um, Rams get the ball back. Uh, the big man, def- uh, defensive tackle, Vita VA, or Vita Via, however you want to pronounce it. He's just an absolute beast. I love that guy. He sacks uh, Stafford to bring up third and 20. Just when you think, all right, it's starting to shift a little bit. The Bucks are going to get the ball back here and have a chance to maybe tie things up, get another field goal. And that's not exactly how things happened third and 20 out the box third and 20 Safford going for it all he's got a wide open man it's Cooper Cup who gets free and Cup rolls all the way to the end zone on a third and 20 third and 20 can you believe that like how does that happen on third and 20 so that that's when I said it's over no idea how that happens. 
You leave the best wide receiver in football wide open. He goes, takes it to the house for like almost 80 yards. So that puts the Bucs down 17 to three and they needed points. Just get something. And it felt at this point like Brady, it was all on his shoulders. No Godwin, no AB, just just not good. No Werfs. It, it was going to be all on 44-year-old Tom Brady's shoulders, right? So Brady starts to move the ball. A couple penalties cost them, though. Brady gets his first ever unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, and he had a very good, valid point on this. Von Miller did hit him up under the chin. It wasn't terribly bad, but Brady came away bleeding, and it was high enough. It should have warranted a flag, whatever. Suckup goes out there, mostly reliable, and he misses the 48-yard field goal. Just crushing. The Rams would get one more field goal to go up 20-3 to three with just over two minutes remaining in the half. This is when you felt like Brady, it, Brady had, like it's all on Brady's shoulders, right? Like he's going to have to do everything it, it felt like at that point. And um, he just, he, he, he couldn't do it all himself. So he tried to force a pass, I think, to Gronk. It was a late throw towards the sideline. And what happens? It gets intercepted with just around two minutes left. It, it was just, uh, it's like at this point, they're about to go up 27 to three. This is horrible. Absolutely horrible. Well, looks like they're about to. Rams get it in. Second and goal. Cam Akers, who just came back last week, who looked really, really good. Well, guess what? Cam Akers fumbles the, the ball. He gets hit awkwardly and he's going like headfirst to the ground, almost doing like a flip somersault. And right before his head touches the ground, the ball comes out. This was with literally seconds left on the clock. The uh, Bucks jump right on it and they get a reprieve. They just kneel the ball and the quarter is over. The Rams don't get any points. So it remains 20 to three going into the half. And it's for Bucks fans. It was like, oh my God, I can breathe. Thank God we have a tiny bit of life. You know, not a lot, but a tiny bit. Well, Stafford and the Rams got the opening uh, kickoff to start the third quarter and they went right down the field. I think, um, you know, a couple plays here and there, a couple big passes. And Stafford, for the second straight week, sneaks it in. They go up 27-3. to three. Now, if they would have scored before the half, they would have been up 34-3. So that's a huge difference, right? Huge difference. Uh, Brady finally, you know, start moving the ball, gets them on the board with another field goal. It's now 27-6. to six. All right, so they're down three scores. This is when things start to turn. The first play from scrimmage, for the Rams right after that field goal was this, the best wide receiver in football. It's how does this happen? Start from the 40-yard line. Rolling, loves that play. Cup. He loses the ball, and that's exactly what Tampa needed here. He fumbles it. Murphy Bunting has it. Still on his feet, and finally gets corralled. This gave the Bucks the ball right around the 30 two-yard line of, of the Rams, and it's like, okay, here we go. Let's get it. Let's go. Brady would, uh, they would stall. It would be fourth and nine, and you knew they they had to go for it. They're down too much. It's late in the third, under two under three minutes. Fourth and nine, he just rifles one in there, a wide-open Scotty Miller. A few plays later, it was Leonard Fournette running it in for the Bucks' first touchdown 
of the game. Uh, do I have that one? I don't think I have that touchdown, that sound for that touchdown. Uh, no. Okay, I don't have the sound for that one, but that gave them life. This made it a 14-point game, 27-13 to 13 as they were going to the fourth quarter. But the Rams were not going to make it that easy for the Bucks. They get into field goal range in the fourth quarter with six minutes and 36 seconds remaining. Matt Gay lines up for a 47-yard field goal. And in the most bizarre of circumstances, I'm eating dinner and I turn around and I see the field goal and I'm like, damn, it's good. Have three timeouts of the two-minute warning. We need a miss here, don't we, from Matt Gay? Why'd we cut Matt Gay? Because he missed too many. This kick is airborne, and it is just inside the left upright. It is no good. No, a short, 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 short. Did I say why we cut his name before that? <laughs> you know, I'm watching the no, big jumbo. No, yeah, drop. it was right down the middle, but it yeah. was just about a foot short yeah. of the crossbar. I'm watching the Listen, they said before the game that Matt Gay did not kick well in this stadium, and that's why the Bucks got rid of him. But I've never seen a Pro Bowl kicker come up short on a 47-yard field goal. I I was stunned. He 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 it was accurate. He just came up short. This gave the Bucks some life. That would have put the Rams up 3 scores. So 6:30 or so remaining, the Bucks would take it down to the Rams 31, but on fourth down, Brady just throws it over the middle. He might have had Scotty Miller behind the play on the right side and he and he didn't see him and they turn it over and it's just like you've got to be kidding me it, it's over at this point right well no because the the bucks used up their timeouts they get the ball back two plays later about four minutes to go this is why tom brady is the goat okay ladies and gentlemen i'm gonna prove to you right here in just two plays wide to the left brady looking the other way brady going deep down the right side line for That was with 3.20 on the clock. He got into the end zone with 3.20 on the clock. So they don't have any timeouts at this point, but there is life. They're down one score. Brady has that magic, baby, and it is not over until those zeros are up on the clock. And you have to wonder if this puts, you know, the fear of God almost in the Rams, and this is why they were faltering because they were really choking this one away. Well, guess what? It wasn't over. Cam Akers would fumble the ball for the second time just two plays later after the ensuing kick. Kickoff. Akers. At the 30-yard line. You can't make this up. You can't script this any better. This is Brady. This is comeback. This is Super Bowl against the Falcons when they were down. Huge. I mean, unbelievable. This is at the 30-yard line. Brady with more than two minutes left. What do you think he does? He drives down. Now, there was a bad spot on this play. I I, I forget. I think it was Bright that caught the ball, and he, he ran, for, you know, and dove for the, like, 
the, the first down as he's getting tackled. And I thought it was a bad spot. They kind of, you know, reviewed it. And then apparently they said it was still fourth down, but they did move it up from what I heard. So this was what scared me, but it was a fourth and one. And you got Tom Brady. I'm never running the ball here, but they handed it off to Fournette. And thank God it, it worked out because there was a clear di- diver right through the middle that that could have gotten Fournette. He he got his arm around him, but his momentum was too fast. And he went, he slid right by Fournette, who cut it to the right side for the game tying touchdown. Brady's going to hand it off. It's Fournette. He's going to take it to the end zone. Right in, tie game, 42 seconds left. Now, the debate. That's a lot of time for Stafford and co. to to go back down and score and win this game. 42 seconds, a whole lot of time. As soon as Fournette gets that first down, does he take a dive at the one-yard line and then pray that the Bucs can get in and tie the game and take this to overtime? Probably not. Nobody would do that in their right mind, but it's just one of those hindsight things afterwards that you're like, "Eh, should he have done that? Well, no. But it, hey, things have a funny way of working out. Uh, the Rams would get the ball back. Like I said, 42 seconds left. And I think this was like the second play. The second play. It's called prevent defense, guys. You know, like in baseball, when the coach puts his, you know, waves his hand over his head, that means no doubles. Okay. That's the same thing. Nobody behind you. Uh, well, they let him behind him. Stafford. Getting set. Getting ready for Matt Gay to come in. He spikes it there, and Matt Gay will come in and try to win the game. Can you believe that? With four seconds left, they're able to get down there and spike it, and Brady is just looking on from the sideline, just sitting down, jacket on, uh, just probably disgusted with himself, disgusted with the whole Antonio Brown situation, just with everything because he did everything in his power to come back and win that game. We uh, we should have gotten overtime. That game deserved overtime the way it was going. I mean, the Rams deserved to win. Let, don't get me wrong, but they. I mean, they also choked the game away and kind of didn't deserve to win. And it's Brady. We're witnessing, you know, history when we watch this guy. So it's like, why not give it to us? Let this guy keep winning because we'll never see great greatness like this again in our lifetimes. So um, sorry if you're hearing some noise. I'm just getting my charger and getting ready to plug that into my laptop um, because my my laptop battery is getting a little low. Give me one second. All right. We should be good. There we go. Okay. So Matt Gay comes on for the game-winning field goal. And of course, he he drains it. It was not you know, a far, a far kick by any stretch of the imagination. And what happens? Another walk-off win. That's three games, three walk-off field goals in regulation. Rams win 30 to 27. And guess what? Remember that bet I made? Bucks plus three and a half and over 45 or over 44 and a half. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I think it was like 100 to win 115, something like that. Um, But I saw a lot of tickets, a lot of same game parlays that were cashing left, right, and center. That was a good game for the betting community for sure. Um, So 
unfortunate for the Bucks because I did have them preseason to win the Super Bowl and repeat, but that's the way, you know, things go. All right. Also, there were three games, three game-winning field goals in regulation by all three road underdogs. So surely we can't have a fourth road underdog win this game in the Buffalo Bills, could we? Mm, not so fast. In the final two minutes, if you didn't watch any of this game and you tuned in for the final two minutes, you would have witnessed the greatest two minutes in the history of the National Football League. I'm not even joking you. Four lead changes in the final two minutes alone. Never in my life have I seen anything like it. Mahomes and Josh Allen combined to go 50 for 81 passing for 707 yards and seven touchdowns with zero interceptions. Oh my God. That is not a mistake. I Josh Allen had the playoffs of his life in these two games. His rating was 136. Mahomes was 123.1. The final touchdown, uh, which was a walk-off in overtime, capped one of the greatest games I have ever seen. I, I, I'm not, I mean, the second half started 14 to 14. Butker hit a 39 yard field goal. He had a kind of off game, by the way, he missed the field goal at the end of uh, the first half and he missed an extra point. Uh, but he's, but he hits the 39 yard field goal. Nicole Hardman also scored on a 25 yard run, uh, which somehow he bursted up the sideline last minute. Like there were guys there. And the next thing you know, I turn away and then they're screaming that he's going into the end zone. Uh, so that was weird. That gave the Chiefs a 23 to 14. That's a nine point lead in the third quarter. But Allen connected with Gabriel Davis for a 75 yard touchdown near the end of the third to cut the lead uh, to 23 21. Um, I thought I had that. 75-yard touchdown. I don't think I do. Um, but Butker would then hit another field goal in the fourth to stretch Kansas City's lead to 26-21. But the Bills took a three-point lead with two minutes to play when Allen connected with a wide-open Davis for the third time. And then he hit Stefan Diggs for the two-point conversion. I do have that one. Some of these guys. Allen fires it. It's a wide Touchdown, Buffalo, Davis again. This was on fourth and 13. This was when you just figured if they don't get this game is over. Okay, so they hit that. Uh, you know, Andy Reid is, is just beside himself. They're showing Chiefs fans beside themselves. Then here is the Diggs two-point conversion. Allen could try to make it a three-point lead. Circling around at the 18. Now looks, flings it back to the end zone. There's Diggs. Caught it for the two. Yeah, just, I mean, if you saw this play, this just proves why Josh Allen is so good, why I'm, like, just that much in love with him, why I scream for the Jets to draft this guy. People talk about um, now that Brian Dayball is the new Giants head coach and how he was more than likely going to get the job anyway. They talk about this guy, um, about how, you know, great a job um, he did with Josh Allen and, and whatnot um, because Josh Allen's, you know, completion percentage in college wasn't that great. And that's why he was rated behind these other guys. I turned on, 
I maybe saw one game of Josh Allen live in college when when they said it was on and I was like, okay, where's the hype behind this guy? I've got to tune in and watch it. And I'm not joking you. He threw a bomb to the end zone. I First of all, I looked at his size and I saw a guy that I was like, that's it. I'm already in love. Just based, I could I could look at a guy in shotgun and just see there's something about it and 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 he has it. He st- he drops back. He throws a a bomb deep to the end zone, and I literally watched a receiver drop the ball right right through the breadbasket. And that wasn't the only drop of the day. So that's when I said, okay, he plays at Wyoming. Okay, this team isn't. He's not surrounded with great players, so his completion percentage is low because players are dropping passes. Okay, he didn't have a great couple seasons to start, but that's normal. Peyton Manning, Troy Aikman, they all stunk in their first couple of years or first one or two years. Eli Manning wasn't great early on either. I mean, this is the pains, growing pains of a rookie. And that's why he's great. So it's not all, you know, day ball. We'll see how he does with Daniel Jones if they keep him, you know, whatever. But, I mean, Josh Allen is an absolute... God amongst the men. He gave the Kansas City Chiefs, he outplayed Mahomes, and that's hard to say because of how great that game was and that Mahomes, of course, winning the game, but just unbelievable. That gave them a three-point lead. And I believe, uh, I don't believe, that was Gabriel Davis's third touchdown of the game. They have Stephon Diggs. He did not score a touchdown in this game. That was his first score on the two-point conversion. Well, that lead didn't last more than five seconds because. Mahomes scored in five plays, capped off with this 75-yard uh, drive, capped this off with a 64-yard touchdown to none other than Tyreek Hill. Holmes at his own 36, down by three. Three wide to the right, one wide to the left. Mahomes over the middle, cut Tyreek Hill at the 45, angling right 40, 35, Cheetah, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Kansas City, a 64-yard touchdown, Patrick Mahomes to Tyreek Hill, and Mahomes has just set an all-time National Football League record with his 24th touchdown in the postseason in his first 10 games. This none bigger, none bigger than this 64-yard catch and run. 32-29 Kansas City with a minute two to go. You heard it there with a minute two to play. Um, there would be a bigger touchdown later in this game from Mahomes, but that it's just ridiculous. Uh, so minute two left. Bills then take the take the ball and they go right down the field and they retake the lead when Allen connects with. Davis for his NFL postseason record fourth touchdown of the game with just 13 seconds left to play. Game has to be over, right? Hold on. That wasn't it. This is it. Touchdowns. I want you to watch the communication up here. They're going to talk. He's going to talk. He's going to talk. All of a sudden, Baker comes in. This is where the communication, and all of a sudden, they're late. Getting all the way. 
Oh, they were late. And Gabriel Davis scores his fourth touchdown of the game. The Bills go up by three with just 13 seconds left. And naturally, the cameras pan to to Chris Jones just on the sideline on a knee, like can't believe it. Then they show Andy Reid, who just puts his head down real quick. They show Mahomes walking to get his helmet because he knows the game's not over. He's got 13 seconds. Well, NFL Films also happened to capture Josh Allen saying this to Gabriel Davis, a little bit premature, and you got to feel for the kid. seconds that's all it'll take a miracle now for kansas city but it's not um if you couldn't hear that too well turn up the volume but it was josh allen saying to gabriel davis as he hugs him fourth touchdown to send up send us to the afc championship are you kidding me um well patrick mahomes said hold my beer i have 13 seconds left and what did he do he gets them down into field goal range on two plays Two plays, and here's why. He had 13 seconds left. When the Bills scored, they decided to kick off through the end zone. They kicked off through the end zone instead of quib squib kicking it. Everyone knows in Madden you just squib kick it. Why? Here's why. They squib kick this. If they do it right down to the 10 or the 5-yard line, they have no choice but to pick it up and run. And yes, they have dynamic threats back there. They could have put Tyreek Hill. They could have put Nicole Hardman. They could have put McKinnon, whoever. But here's the deal. I'd rather it be in one of those guys' hands on a kickoff return than put it in Patrick Mahomes' hands at the 25 with 13 seconds left and two timeouts. They Somehow Andy Reid managed this game for once in his life. He he managed a game correctly and had his timeouts at the end of the game. They So that's why you squib it, waste some time, and then Mahomes really only has one play. And another thing you do, you don't just leave guys wide open. You don't leave Kelsey wide open. You don't leave Tyreek Hill wide open in the middle of the field. Just hold everybody. Then Tra Travis Kelsey isn't open. Then uh, Mahomes has no one to throw to. Tyreek Hill's not open. Just hold everyone purposely. They throw the flag, of course. It's like a five-yard penalty, but the time doesn't get put back on the clock. And then he just had to throw a Hail Mary. But people say there's a rule now in place. If they see you're doing that purposely, they'll put time back on the clock, whatever. I, I Just do something, but don't let these guys open. And they were open. Kelsey got open and could have kept going. But with three seconds left, he jumped up, called the timeout. They kicked the field goal to send it to overtime. Well, NFL Films also captured this Travis Kelsey magic on the sidelines right before they went on the field. This was pretty amazing stuff. And now the Chiefs have got to somehow get in field goal range. Hey, Tia. Tia. They might, they might man you up. They, I'm saying go outside and come back in like you're running a route outside. That way when you come back in, I can get in the way. Sweet. Have a chance to get Bucker in field goal range here. Hey, hey. They play it like that. That seam is open. Eight seconds left, down three. I mean, you couldn't see, but he told, he was telling 10, that's Tyreek Hill, 
um, that I can block for you. It's wide open. So he does that. Then after that play, he goes up to Mahomes and he tells him the seam is wide open. And then you can hear in shotgun Mahomes screaming, do it, Kels, do it because he knows what Kelsey told him is wide open and he gets it to Kelsey. He gets down with three seconds left and they get the field goal to tie it. And then they win the coin toss because Josh Allen called tails. I play Madden. I go to overtime. I call, I'm calling heads every time. The most recent um, overtime game though, it was tails and the whole, you know, People think tails never fails, but I'm a, I'm a heads kind of guy. I would have called heads if I was Josh Allen. That's just me. Chiefs get the ball. What do they do? Run right down. They basically have man coverage on Kelsey on the outside. Just ridiculous. Looking to the end zone for the win. A linebacker, no less. Ball game. Chiefs to the championship game. These two guys know each other. Unbelievable. This, this is just unfathomable. The Bills had won this game. Poor Josh Allen had his helmet on expecting to get the ball back and he never had a chance. And he's just, he he looks dead inside on, on the sideline. Just, I honestly feel so bad for him. Nobody should have lost this game. It was a hard fought battle. These were the two teams we wanted to see rematch in the AFC championship game. Unfortunately, it came down to, to that situation, in, you know, in overtime. And do we change overtime rules? That's a discussion we need to have. Um, but I think they just, they would have been in the AFC Championship game had they squibbed that ball, and that that's that. Uh, this happened to the Chiefs against the Pats in the AFC Championship game a few years back. Patriots got the toss, and they won the game when D4 jumped offside, so that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes, man, and and, and that that is how it is, but that was the craziest um, divisional round play of the playoffs I've ever seen in my life, no doubt. Might have been, might have been the greatest weekend of sports ever football ever. Okay. How do you follow up that weekend of football? Well, while we were watching football on Sunday, Kansas state women's basketball star, Aoka Lee scored an astounding 61 points. Oh my God. Leading the unranked wildcats to a 94 65 beatdown of number 14, Oklahoma. Her 61 points are the most ever scored in a women's NCAA game. Rachel Banham of Minnesota in 2016 and Cindy Brown of Long Beach State in 1987 previously held the record with 60 points each. She was held to like 20 in her next game. I checked in on that one. So uh, yeah, just soft defense. She's a big center. Um, and they, there was just no stopping her. Like foul this chick. Don't let her just time after time, get these inbound passes right under the basket and lay them in, but just unbelievable. She went like 15 of 17 from the line too, which was kind of crazy. All right, next up, I want to talk about one of the best basketball announcers ever, maybe the greatest. That's one Dick Vitale, the longtime ESPN college basketball analyst announced on Monday, he will not call any more games this season due to his ongoing battle with dysplasia on his vocal cords. He said throat specialist Dr. C Steven Zeitels ordered him to rest his vocal cords and have surgery. And I think since he's been resting it a couple weeks, he said it's already improved like 60%. He was diagnosed with lymphoma in October and he has been undergoing chemo since. And he's been very open about it, posting pictures on Twitter and social media. 
um, constantly. So that probably, uh, I'm assuming, led to the dysplasia. Um, I'm not a doctor, so I really don't know. But hoping he gets gets uh, better soon. Of course, um, he he's been uh, he announced the first ever college basketball game on ESPN. He's been with them for since the '80s. Uh, so college basketball without Dick Vitale is not fun. We need him back. All right, the Clippers overcame a 35-point deficit in the craziest NBA game that I've ever witnessed in my life. Not joking. The Clippers pulled off a comeback of historic proportions Tuesday night on the road against the Washington Wizards. The Clippers are not a great team this year. No Paul George, no Kawhi. They've been banged up, but they have an astounding like 14, like a a bunch of comebacks from 14 or more. Just ridiculous. They're like the only team this year to come back from from like super double digit type games. Uh, just just ridiculous. They trailed at one point by 35 points. They won this game 116 to 115 in the final seconds, marking the largest comeback in franchise history. Second largest comeback ever. I think 96. Uh, there was like a Denver Jazz game, something like that. Here's Luke Kennard. So the, they were down seven. Luke Kennard hits a deep three. Then there's a five-second call on the Wizards, giving the ball back to the Clippers, Luke Kennard gets the ball, takes a couple dribbles, and throws one up. Kennard, got to watch out. Three seconds, puts up the shot, hits it, and the foul! Are you kidding me? Going to Kennard. And guess what? You can't challenge if you wanted to. There are no timeouts remaining. Yeah, it was insane. He would make the free throw, put them up 116-115, and that's how it would end. They win the game. Just ridiculous. Kennard became the only player in the last 25 seasons with a game-winning four-point play in the final seconds of a game. And it just so happens I picked him up on my fantasy team that very night, and he just balled out with 25 points, almost close to like a double-double, triple-double. Um, he, he filled the stat sheet. The league actually, the NBA actually later came out. This is the beauty of the NBA officiating. The league later came out and said after this game that Kennard's three should have been preceded by a five-second call on Justice, uh, excuse me, Justin Winslow's inbounds pass. Unbelievable. And that the and-one foul on Kennard's shot should have actually been on the floor, therefore nullifying the basket. Yikes. Sorry, Wizards. Just wasn't meant to be, I guess. The very next night, Clippers overcame a 14-point deficit to win yet again. NBA is crazy. All right, I want to quickly talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame. Somehow, some way, David Ortiz got into the Baseball Hall of Fame. You can argue greatest DH uh, of all time. Not that the DH has been around for all that long in the you know American League. Ortiz's numbers are good. But again, Here's what I have to laugh about. If Ortiz gets in and then Bonds and Clemens don't, this was their final year of eligibility, their 10th year on the ballot. Bonds and Clemens, big uh, steroid era guys, like the most well-known pretty much. They don't get in, yet David Ortiz, who was also named in the Mitchell Report, and seems to get a pass, what? Because his offense occurred a year before they started cracking down. It, it just doesn't seem fair. If you're going to allow one in, you got to just reevaluate and let the rest in. So... It goes back to the 94 strike. Baseball was reeling. Players began taking steroids, and the game exploded again in popularity. 
The league clearly looked the other way. Everybody knows this because they were profitable. People loved seeing the long ball. They were filling seats again. Bonds, McGuire, these guys were mashing balls. Sosa, you know, every A-Rod, everybody. It was just fun to see. And then you add in the element that Pete Rose, the greatest hitter of all time, is also not in the Hall of Fame because he was making bets on his own team. So here's what I have to say about this. Pete Rose, this was long after he played, had nothing to do with him as a player. So that should not affect his Hall of Fame status. All right. You want to put that in there because he was a coach as well. But I think it more so has to go based on you know, Pete Rose, the player, we're not electing, you know, Joe Torrey into the Hall of Fame be for what he did as a manager. Th this is for the players. All right. And the baseball writers of America are a joke. Derek Jeter should have been the first unanimous uh, vote into the Hall of Fame ever. And one guy didn't vote for Derek Jeter. Uh, it's just incredulous, incredulous what these guys are doing. They don't know what they're they're doing. They don't have rules. They're just making it up as they go. But Ortiz gets in, Clemens, Bonds, and, and Pete Rose don't get in. And Pete Rose didn't do anything wrong when he played. He was the greatest hitter of all time. Didn't do anything wrong. Most hits of all time. Was, a, was an old school, just a, a savant at the plate. So good. And yet he doesn't get in. He should he should be in more so than Bonds and Clemens because they did stuff illegal as players. He didn't. So it, it's just there's no rhyme or reason. It's it, it, it's it's a joke. Um, it, it really is a joke. So uh, that's my gripe. It, it's got to change. Um, I say reevaluate. Somebody made a good point that the Giants should sign Barry Bonds for one for like a one day contract. That way, his. 10 years on the ballot resets and he could get on the ballot again for the next 10 years. Hey, it's a thought. I don't think they would allow it. They'd probably find some loophole. Um, but right now, Major League Baseball and the players, spring training supposed to be starting soon. The season's a couple months away. They're in a basically a lockout yet again. And Rob Manfred, one of the worst commissioners ever. I've not liked this guy since he took over. He's been bad for baseball. Baseball's been plummeting in the drain, getting rid of the minor league teams and just just robot umpires left, right. Just just nothing he does is is making the game better. Or making pitch relief pitchers come in and have to face three batters. It doesn't make the game faster. All right. So that's why you're not getting people in the seats because you're not doing it the right way, Rob Manfred. So baseball hall of fame. It's a joke. You could elect these guys, put bonds in, put Clemens in, put Pete Rose in, put shoot, put Rafael Palmero in all these guys. Right. And just put on the plaque a, a st stipulation. That's all. Um, I saw Clemens respond and said it was never about the Hall of Fame and his team has moved on. A his family moved on a long time ago, uh, which I totally agree with that. Like, you're not going to harp over it. So it is what it is. Uh, Sean Payton stepped away. He's re basically uh, not retiring, but he resigned as head coach of the Saints. He doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild. That's what it comes down to. Does not want to be a part of a rebuild, but he's the greatest coach in Saints history. One Super Bowl win, three NFC Championship game appearances, and seven division titles, all for a team that had one playoff win before he took over in 06. And he's had three quarterbacks this year, somehow miraculously had a winning record and missed out on the playoffs just because the 49ers came back and beat the Rams in overtime in week, in the last week of the season. Um, but here's what's going to happen. He has a couple years left on his contract. He's going to step away, 
going to TV. There's there's rumors that Fox is going to lose Troy Aikman to Amazon and they're going to sign Sean Payton to a deal. He's going to do TV for one year. Listen, Bill Cowher did this. Rex Ryan did this. Do TV for a year. And then he claims he's going to go back. Well, he doesn't claim, but the rumor is that he's going to go back and look for a head coaching job somewhere else, maybe with a little bit more established team, something like that. Once these guys get into get into the TV, sometimes they don't go back if they fall in love with it. It's a lot less stressful, easier on the family, right? So we'll see what happens. Um, but I know a lot of teams inquired about him already trying to get him. There will probably have to be some compensation there for the Saints since he is still under contract. All right, from one coach leaving to another getting hired, the Broncos have hired Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. The 42-year-old has 14 years of NFL experience, including as coordinator for the Bills and Jaguars before his three seasons with Green Bay. The um, um, This immediately sparked rumors that Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, if he does leave, will go to Denver. I'm sure the Broncos will inquire about that. Also, um, cool thing, Nathaniel Hackett's father, is Paul Hackett, who was a coach for many years in college and the NFL. I know he coached with the Jets for a few years, early 2000s. He was um, actually hired before Jerry Jones got to got uh, uh, became owner of, of the Dallas Cowboys. Paul Hackett was hired by then uh, the then president uh, of the Cowboys. His name is slipping my mind. Um, I know Tom Landry was the coach. It. Uh, I forget it. it. It's Shammer or whatever his name was. Um, anyway, my dad's going to laugh when he hears this. But so Paul Hackett was hired to be the next head coach of the Packer of, of the Cowboys. I want to say he he was with the Cowboys as like the offensive coordinator, something like that. And, and he was going to get promoted or he had previously been with the Cowboys. Well, guess what? Jerry Jones comes in, fires everybody. And. He says, no, I'm taking my guy, Jimmy Johnson. The rest was history. They would go on to win a Super Bowl. And um, yeah, I don't think Paul Hackett ever was a head coach after that. All right, quick funny story. Ja, uh, Jamar Chase met with the media on Wednesday, and he was asked this question. Hey, Jamar, uh, talking with your dad and Joe Burrow's dad last week, I said the one thing, and your dad said this, Jamar, the one thing you can't do is tell Jamar or Joe that they can't do something, um, that that that's going to end poorly for the opposition if you do that. When did you first notice that trait in yourself, Jamar, that if someone told you you couldn't do something, I don't know if you have a story or anything, where you noticed that happened and it fired you up? Yeah, I don't know if I have a story either, going back that far. Um, it's just been always... I can tell you honestly, one of one of my best stories ever. Les Miles told me I couldn't play receiver uh, when I was coming out of high school. Um, so you know that was something I had on my shoulders growing up. Les Miles told me uh, he thought I could play cornerback. Um, I wasn't really in full position at receiver yet. So you know I just kept working in my craft uh, off season, waking up early in the mornings to work out. Um, I just kept focused. Hey Jamar, uh, talking. Yeah, can you believe that? Les Miles told him he wasn't going to be good enough to play receiver and that he could, he'll play cornerback at LSU. Well, that stuck with Jamar. He didn't take too kindly to that because he committed to Kansas. It wasn't until Les Miles was fired at LSU that he changed his mind and decided to go there. And, of course, the rest is history. He's setting rookie records with the Bengals. He was great at LSU. So sometimes these coaches don't get it right. But, hey, 
sometimes without that, it wouldn't have given him the motivation to keep working and get better at his craft. All right, next up, the Hornets set a franchise record by scoring 158 points in in a route of the Pacers in regulation. Oh, my God. It was the most points in franchise history, and they did it. Nobody on the team had more than 39 points, that being Kelly Oubre. He went a whopping 10 for 15 from three, while LaMelo Ball added a 29-point triple-double. Just ridiculous. Okay, next up, Rafi Nadal. He advances to the Open Final, the Australian Open Final, with his four-set victory over Mateo. He is chasing a record 21st Grand Slam men's singles title in this final against Danil Medvedev, who is the betting favorite. That'll be Sunday morning at 3.30 in the morning. Remember, he's currently tied with Federer and uh, world number one Novak Djokovic with those 20 titles. Those 20 Grand Slam titles. If he wins, he gets to 21, and he is ahead of both those guys. And this would be his first Australian Open final since losing to Djokovic in 2019. Of course, the Joker was uh, banned from the Australian Open because of the vaccine, um, you know, that he's not vaccinated. Here's the kicker, though. Uh, Nadal is just 1-4 in in the Open finals and has lost four straight. If he wins, it will be just his second open title and first since 09. This game's at uh, this match is at 3:30 in the morning Sunday. I'm highly debating betting on it because when I saw this earlier this afternoon, Nadal was plus 160, losing four straight. He he needs one to pass these two guys. I think he's going to get it, so I'm thinking I might bet this. Keep an eye out. The Ravens are hiring Michigan assistant Mike McDonald as their new defensive coordinator. McDonald previously worked for the Ravens as a defensive assistant from 2015 and 2016, a defensive backs coach in 2017, and a linebackers coach from 18 to 20. He also worked as an intern for the team in 2014. It's funny how these things worked out because in, in 2018, he interviewed for the Ravens defensive coordinator job that went to Wink Martindale, and now after one season at Michigan, he will be Wink Martindale's successor. Unbelievable. Here's a funny one. Andrew Wiggins named to his first All-Star game as a starter, nonetheless. Um, starters were announced yesterday. Wiggins was voted in, and there's one reason he was voted in. The, th the, th the crazy fans in Golden State. That fan base is one of the best and they voted him in. So kind of crazy. Um, thought I'd throw that in there. Durant won't be playing in this game either as for the second straight year as he rehabs back from, from that um, MCL sprain. Um, I spoke earlier about the Packers hiring Nathaniel uh, Hackett. Well, the Bears also made an announcement having hired Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus. Um, good luck with that job. Yeesh. And then Big Ben has announced his retirement. We all saw it coming. No surprise now that they got bounced. They put out a nice tribute video, him pulling down his name off the top of his locker, all that good stuff. It was cool. You know, it's it's interesting now that the three quarterbacks that were drafted in, in that class are all gone now. It's just, it's weird. Um, it just shows how quickly we're all growing up. All right. We've got two games left, two conference championship games 
The Chiefs and Bengals will kick things off Sunday at 3 p.m. on CBS. Uh, Chiefs are seven and a half point favorites. I don't think this one is all that close. I think Chiefs can win this by 10. Um, I'm laying all my money on the Chiefs. No brainer. Chiefs, Chiefs, Chiefs. Joe Burrow, still young, second year guy. Um, sacked nine times last week. They haven't, they could have easily lost their game against the Raiders. It came down to the final play. They've barely escaped in both of these first two games. And I just think uh, it's been a nice story, but I think they're still a year, two, three years away. And that offensive line is just so bad. That guy Prince, that right guard is going to get destroyed. And if they have any semblance of a pass rush for the Chiefs, if they could get one or two turnovers, it's over. I'm taking Chiefs, no brainer. Um, Next up, Rams 49ers. There's been a lot of talk about the stadium, SoFi Stadium. If the Rams win, they will host. It will be the second straight year that a Super Bowl, uh, a team in the Super Bowl is basically hosting in their own stadium after it never happening. Um, but here's the deal. The 49ers have a longer history. They have a better fan base since the Rams moved back to LA. They're still growing that fan base. The 49ers are trying to overtake the Rams in that stadium. There was a lot of talk about Matthew Stafford's wife buying up all these tickets um, and trying to give them away to, 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 to Rams fans. But then a couple of 49er um, retirees, you got Frank Gore and, and, and somebody else, I forget who, they tweeted back at Stafford's wife and said, sorry, we already bought up all the tickets. So it's expected there's going to be a large conglomerate of 49ers fans, about 65, 35. Uh, that's what I'm hearing. Uh, that's what the data is showing. That could be a problem for the Rams, but um, it's the eye test for me. The 49ers, every, they, they've been great all season long. Don't get me wrong. They have, well, they haven't been great all season long, but they're one of the hottest teams coming in. What if they beaten the Rams eight out of nine in like seven straight, something ridiculous? Well, they're looking to do something that nobody has done. And that is go on the road in, uh, cause in order to win this, uh, to reach the Super Bowl, the Niners will have to win four straight games all on the road. Something that hasn't been done since 1966. The last team to win four straight games all on the road was the 66 Chiefs final three regular season games and first playoff game. Uh, it's just unbelievable. So these games are going to be absolutely phenomenal phenomenal. I cannot wait. And it all gets started. We have the early games now again, three and six 30. Those are the best because Sunday you got to go to work. You don't want this game to end at midnight. So it should be fun. Um, also this weekend, you've got the farmer's insurance open. That's going to be taking place on ESPN plus. You can watch it there. If you're into golf, which I am, you have Will Zalatoris and Jason day tied for the lead. Uh, Justin Thomas tumbled today in the third round. Damn. I was thinking of throwing some money on JT, but maybe not after all. All right. Finally on this date in sports, January 28th, 1990, Jerry Rice became the first player in NFL history with three receiving touchdowns in a Super Bowl. He would tie his own record in 1995. It's why he's the greatest receiver in NFL history. Um, I do have some final thoughts. I want to talk about the New York Knicks for a second because they've been a hot mess. And my guess here is that Tom Thibodeau makes it through this season and he gets ousted. Um, if not, He'll make it one more year. It looks like Julius Randle is on his way out. Uh, it's, it's just an entire mess. But don't take it from my mouth. Uh, take it from the lips of one Jeff Van Gundy. Here's what he had to say on the New York Knickerbockers. Knicks asleep at the wheel. The lead is 20 now for the Heat. They 
just need major changes. But as Fournier hits a, a three, they just they don't bring it on a nightly basis. And I'm talking the starting unit. And if they there's been plenty of time throughout the year to show that they they work well together. As Hero with a tough post-up shot. I just don't know how they continue on like this. You know, that's the definition of insanity. Is seeing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. They did make one move. They traded for Cam Reddish. He's only played in one game so far, and he played five minutes. But to make a big move, don't you need to have the pieces that are going to be attractive to another team? terms of great players, do the Knicks have enough of those pieces that are going to attract another team to make a huge deal that's really going to improve this Knicks team right now? No. No, they don't. Fournier picks up his second foul. And really what happened is this summer, they thought they were upgrading. They made a lot of moves. You know, extended uh, Randall. Hey, Randall, Nerland's Noel. Walker and Fournier, and you know it just hasn't worked yet. Randall, just two for six, four points in the game. Yeah, no, it hasn't worked. He's absolutely right. Bringing in Fournier and Kemba Walker were just disastrous moves. Fournier has been up and down. He scored a. Cr- career high a couple like a month ago a couple weeks ago beginning of the month uh when he had like 40 some odd points but they just this was during the Miami Heat game I think what was that Friday night uh excuse me not Friday night um was that two nights ago maybe um let me see here the Knicks game against the Heat yeah a couple nights ago they got destroyed from start to finish let me just give you one quick stat I know I'm almost like an hour and a half into this I apologize every Knicks starter had a plus minus. You had Mitchell Robinson minus 18, Fournier 20, minus 27. Then you had Kemba minus 30, Randall minus 34, and RJ Barrett minus 36. Nobody, uh, just two guys in double figures, Randall with 11 and Barrett with 17. Obi Toppin actually led the team with 18. This is why the, the, the bench has been playing late in games because you had Toppin plus 20, quickly plus 16, Reddish plus 9, he actually played 10 minutes in this one, Grimes plus 18, Burks plus 5, Sims plus 2, Gibson plus 2, McBride plus 3. You just, I I can't, uh, listen, the Nets are in shambles right now too, but they're also Kyrie Irving's in and out of the lineup because he can't play in New York, and Durant's uh, coming back from the, the MCL, he's rehabbing, Joe Harris had a setback, that's fine, the Nets are competitive at least, but the Knicks, oh my God, they 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 were one and done, they overachieved last year, that's exactly what happened, and they're going to be in trouble, they might not make that 10-team play-in. Um, which is crazy because it's the NBA and just 10 teams don't make the playoffs in the NBA now. So it's just wild. But that's going to do it, guys. Thank you for tuning in. I know this one was a little bit longer, but it was a lot to to recap. I hope you don't get as much snow as they're predicting. Um, But if you do, just don't worry about it. You should have nowhere to go. Just sit inside, enjoy the warmth, turn on the fireplace, turn on the TV, watch a movie, watch a TV show. of course, unless there's sports on Saturday and Sunday, which there will be, and then kick back, open up your your betting apps and and lay some money because nothing is better than kicking back on the couch 
and winning some cold, hard cash for basically hitting a couple buttons and using your brain uh, and trying to figure out who's going to win or who's going to score or this, that parlay, this parlay, overs, unders. Uh, I live for this stuff. I love it. So uh, with that being said, guys, it's the Pody signing off. I'll see everybody next week. (laughs) 